21st chapter. The 21st chapter is interesting because it's believed that the 21st chapter is not a part of the original, the first draft of John. It's an addendum. It's not that John didn't write it or a scribe uh, took dictation from John. It's it's very much uh, his work, and it is not inconsistent with the rest of the book, but but we got the sense last week from chapter 20 that that 31st verse, the 30th and 31st verses were a kind of ending, weren't they? That Jesus performed many more uh, signs in the presence of his disciples but uh, that, that are not recorded in this book. He says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's an ending. And so we get to through the whole deal about the, the resurrection and the disciples in the upper room and Thomas and his issues with doubt and, and his revelation that Jesus is who he says he is. We get through all of that, and he says to us at the end of chapter 20, it's all about, I'm giving you all this so that you may believe, and so that's the done deal. Then we come back in the 21st chapter, and we get a little bit more because apparently there's something else that needs to be said, something else that needs to be conveyed. And so going all the way back to the beginning, as I said a moment ago, it, it started with two words, and the two words were this, follow me. These fellows that we've been following, the disciples, and there are some of them that have emerged from the text in a lot of part of John's work. Peter is very prominent. John himself, who's a writer, is prominent. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And uh, he's a major player. And we could look at this as a kind of script. And, and uh, there are various players that emerge in the script. And so uh, John, Peter, Thomas came f- to the fore last week. But in this last chapter, Peter is going to be the, the principal player. And for Peter, like the rest of them, it began with those two words, follow me. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, went about establishing his ministry by calling certain people, certain, certain men, to come. He didn't call them to uh, accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. He didn't call them to give their hearts to God. He told them very simply, follow me. Sometimes I think we lose the force of the simplicity of that call to discipleship. Out of everything else, sometimes the other stuff and all the other verbiage that has developed because we have all this new understanding post-gospel in the New Testament obscures the simplicity of that real call and the foundation of that call. Jesus calls men and women like you and me just as he called those first disciples. He calls them, he says, first and foremost, follow me. I'm going somewhere. Follow me. I'm doing something, do what I do. I'm living a certain way, live in the way I live. I'm moving in a certain direction. You orient your life in that direction. Begin with those words. But here in John 21, first of all, we're confronted with this kind of cognitive dissonance that is prominent from throughout all of chapter 20, all the way into chapter 21, where, and it goes like this. You remember when Mary Magdalene, when she goes to the tomb, she sees the empty tomb, and she's not like, wow, it happened just like he said, he's alive, and let's go have church. It's like, there's perplexity and confusion. <laughs> A little bit later, Jesus appears to her, and he's, she's still, you know, it's like, what, what? 
the word spreads to the disciples. They're locked in the, remember, locked in the upper room with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. And, and Jesus comes in and speaks to them, but the next Sunday they're locked in the room again. You would think that every appearance, every, every occurrence, everything that Jesus does in their presence, every time they see him, it would somehow give them a sense of relief and propel them out. Okay, you're alive. You're back. We're, we're back in business. Praise the Lord. But they just keep kind of retreating back into their little... You know, it helps me. It helps me. And you need to turn the temperature down a degree or so because it is hot in here for me. Uh, uh, it helps me because sometimes in my life, I find that despite the fact that I have heard God clearly, seen him at work in my experience, despite the fact that God has done definitive and real things in my life and given me uh, his word, I find myself sometimes still bewildered, confused, hesitant, reticent, not, you know, because when you wonder, you look at people around you, how come when God speaks, how come you just don't step out because you like these folks in John 20, 21? Okay, he's alive, but... And so in chapter 21, what we find is that the guys decide to go fishing. And it says this in chapter 21, verse 1. It says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. Now listen to these words. This is Peter. He says, I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. There they are again. Okay, what? I mean, you've seen him in the room. You've seen him here. You've seen him there. And he's somebody, some mysterious figure is standing on the shore at six in the morning, and you... I wonder if that, you know, they still didn't know. They didn't realize it was Jesus. And in verse 5, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? And it's important, you understand, that the force of the Greek text there is he's saying it doubtfully. It's not like, friends, do you have any fish? It's like, I know y'all ain't got no fish. Y'all don't have any fish, do you? And so he says, this is what he tells them. He says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, he would say yours truly, none other than John, right? Said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, verse 10, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Listen to this. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord, but you notice the twist of, of mystery and the little bit of ambiguity there? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, so you remember going back to the beginning when 
those two words were heard by some of these guys, follow me. A bunch of them came out of a certain trade, a certain industry, and that was that of, of, of fishery. They were fishermen. And you'll recall that Jesus had, had given them a promise. He had told them, he said, listen, I know that you guys are really skilled in casting the net and, and pulling in you know, large loads of fish. I realize that you are really good at, 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 at your trade, at plying your trade. I know that you're good at what you do. You know, you know your boat. You know this, the, the water. You know where the fish are. You know how to do what you do, that thing you do. He says, but if you follow me, I will make you, in the, in the King James language, fishers of men. If you follow me, what's going to happen is you have been catching fish in droves by the boatload, right? But from here on, you will be engaged in this amazing kingdom enterprise whereby you will be reaching out and luring in and drawing in human beings, men, women, boys, and girls, into this new thing that Jesus has inaugurated called the kingdom of God, into the rule and reign of God that's come down into the world in their midst and among them. And it's demonstrated by Jesus healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out demons. It shows that God has showed up on the scene and he's involved in the lives of his people and he is taking back what the devil has stolen from humanity. He's taking back his creation. And I want you to know that he's still about that today. And so he says to them, you're going to have this, this, this great new occupation. You, you're fishermen now, but you follow me and you're going to become fishermen of men or men fishers or something like that. And so they began to follow him and they followed him through the early stages when things didn't quite add up and make sense. And I'm sure that these guys, some of them had spouses at home and children and hungry mouths to feed. And I'm sure that some of their wives are saying, what are you doing following this long-haired Jesus guy? What are, you, what are you guys just hanging out? All this talk, 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 talk. And all this yabba, yabba, yabba. What's, you know, all this, all about all this teaching and stuff. What's this kingdom you're talking about here? You know, they, they go through, and so the early stages, they're, they're the, the beginning of the miracles and, and the healings that John relates it in terms of seven signs, and, and they begin to grow in their understanding. They kind of get it, then they kind of, they hit and miss. They, they get it sometimes, sometimes they don't, and, and various gospel writers bring this out and portray it differently, but, but it's, you know, it's a journey, and they go through this journey, and then it gets, you know, a little bit toward the end, and we come into those final weeks and months when, uh, as we lead up to the, to the, to the cross, and Jesus Jesus has told him, he said, listen, uh, I, I, I'm going to have to leave you guys. I'm going to go. I'm gonna, and the Son of Man is going to have to suffer and die for the sins of people. And of course, Peter, who's, who's uh, our, our, our main player today, Peter is the one who has protested the, the, the loudest. He says, you know, and first of all, uh, no way we're going to let this happen. But if it does happen, I'm right there with you. I'm going the entire distance. I'm going all the way with you. But there's no way. And then at one point, Jesus says to Peter, you know, Satan, get behind me because your mind ain't on the things of God. Your mind is on the things of men. You're, you're about self-preservation and the, the, the maintenance of the status quo, things the way you want it to remain in the world around you. You don't understand that God is doing something different that is beyond your comprehension. And so they go through all that, and, and then we, we go up to those final the weeks and days before the crucifixion, they're following him. They follow him through uh, all of the, the challenges. And they follow him all the way to, uh, to, to the raising of Lazarus, although Thomas uh, had said, 
with, with a bit of doubt and resignation. He says, okay, we'll go but so that we can die with you because they're going to stone you probably when you get there. We see the triumphal entry. They, for a moment, probably perceive that, wow, we're, we're winning today. You know, kind of a Charlie Sheen kind of winning, you know. And, uh, and they don't realize that just a few days later, they would be losing because the, the tide, you, you, can never, you can never count on fickle human personality. People change like, the, like that. They change like the when you can't count on people. And, that's, and, and flame is, is fleeting. That's why we talk about 15 minutes of fame. And in this, in this environment, it's two minutes because it's there and your loved one. And that, and, and, but they were there with him. They followed him through that. They followed him all the way uh, to, to Jerusalem. They followed him, and they were there with him And in that moment when, when Judas betrays him, and, and he's arrested, and, and uh, he's subjected to a mock trial, and all of the things that go along with that, they follow him, but one of them follows. Peter is the one who's promised the most verbally and most, and most pointedly and most and has, has protested the most loudly that I will be with you. I will never leave you. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to, I'll go all the way to, 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 to the grave with you. And somebody put it like this. Basically, he basically, you know, fell at the hands of a little girl who says, that's one of them. And he yeah. turns around and denies the Lord. So here in this moment in John 21, you know how it is when you, things in your life don't turn out quite the way you've planned. And so you, you go back to what works. You know what I'm talking about? When, you, when you've tried something, maybe it's the new thing, maybe it's the God thing, maybe it's what God has called you to do or to be, or when you thought he had led you in a certain way, you thought you were, you were going the right way, and it didn't seem to pan out the way you had hoped it would, and then you say, well, let me, you know, I'm going to go back to what I know, right? You know what I'm talking about? And and, you know, so I, I don't know exactly what Peter's thinking when, in this moment, when a few days after uh, the, the, the resurrection, he says, I'm going to go do me some fishing. He says, I'm going to go fishing. And the other guy said, you know what? We're going to go along with you, too. I, I wonder if there's, there's a part of them, I, I wonder if family responsibilities are beginning to kind of nip at their heels, you know, that the wives are saying, okay, now. That, 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 your, your big journey's over, so what will you do? We need some, you know, we need some money, or at least catch us a few good uh, red snapper or something, you know, whatever kind of fish they had back there in that area. I, I don't know whether, whether it, or whether it is just the frustration with the fact that they have been on this, Peter has been on this new thing, this new path, this new occupation, this calling by God that I, I'm sure he expected to be something probably a bit more significant because we get the sense that even in this moment, even though the resurrection has been attested to, they have seen the risen Lord, but there is still uncertainty and doubt about the present and the future. And I know, again, I, I, I think I get in trouble these days because I just, I'm tired of, 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 of the religious uh, shenanigans we go through and we try to paint ourselves as being always so full of certitude and, and certainty. And, and again, realize they've seen the risen Lord. They know he's alive. They know that he told the truth. They know that he's alive from the dead. So they know he's the son of God. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God, he understood you're the Messiah. You're the king. You're, the, you're, you're God. And yet in this moment, it's like, yeah, but, but what now? Some of you, when you got saved and you gave your life to Jesus, your whole world got turned upside down in a good way. And maybe in the next week or so, yeah, but what now? 
happens when sometimes when you make a bold step like joining a church or becoming, getting involved in God's work. You do it. You step out in faith, and then things don't always, you find out that the Christians at your church are just like regular people like you. Because you had a right to have a bad attitude sometimes, but nobody else does. <laughs> and so you wow, you find out that it's hard sometimes. You find out that when you call meetings, people don't always show up. You find out you find out you find out that getting folks to on board with a plan of action is harder than you because everybody's human just like you are. And you get you say, I'm gonna go back to what I'm gonna go back to my old job. I'm gonna go back to what I know works. I'm gonna go back to the thing that, that worked for me. And so they're out here, they're they're fishing and they and the best time to fish is is, is night, you know. Uh, for, for fishing, nighttime is the right time. Any fishermen in the house here? And they're, they're out there on the water. And the text tells us this, that they're out there all night long, right? All night long. You know, with the nets in the water doing whatever fishermen do. And I can imagine, first of all, it's night. You know one thing. I don't know what the temperature was. So I can't say it was a cold night, but I can tell you what, it was a dark night unless it was a full moon. They're out there on the sea, and it says this, that they catch nothing. They caught nothing. Now, it reminds us, doesn't it, that sometimes Jesus put it this way. He said, without me, John 15, you can do nothing. And it didn't mean that without me, you can't drive your car, shop for groceries, or, or whatever you do. But there are certain things in life that you try to do that have significance and meaning with regarding to the things of God, and without me, you can't do it. In this case, I think Jesus reaches over into this mundane area. For some reason, despite all their skill, despite all of their expertise, despite all of their knowledge, they come up empty-handed. I don't know about you, but I, I can relate to that. I can relate to doing my own thing when I know that God had asked me or commanded me to do another thing, to do his thing. I can relate to the fruitlessness that comes when we revert back or resort to that, which is the path of least resistance or what we think we know well or what we think is easiest for us because what God is requiring of us is too hard. And I understand the fruitlessness that comes from that. I think in some of our lives as we have given our, our lives to Christ and we find out, wow, you know, living the Christian life is a little bit more than I, than I bargained for. And then he said, well, let me just, I'm just going to kind of go back to the way I used to be, to do the things I used to do. Let me just, you know, I mean, the Lord understands, you know, I just, you know, I, I just, this new, I mean, I, I, I love the Lord, right? And you, and you said, but I, I, rather than trusting, I'm going to just, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little bit more trying. Rather than faith, I'm going to just, I'm going to try to work the system a little bit more. I, I, you know what I'm saying? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play, I'm going to go back to playing those games I used to play, play, you know, talking that jive I used to talk. I'm going back to that's the stuff I knew how to, because you know, some, 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 some of you, you, you all know what it was like before you got saved, you knew how to manipulate folk. Except some of you still do. You, you know how to work, folks. You know how, you know how to get what you needed out of folks without being honest and straightforward and loving and, and, and caring. You know how to, and said, so let me just go back to, to doing what I knew, to, what I know to do. I've known, so I've, I've, through, through my Christian life, I've known a couple of people that, that they got saved, and they really, in the case of a couple of these people, they actually ascended to some pretty good places of Christian leadership and, and that kind of thing. But you have to be careful, because I noticed that both of them had come out of a life of, 
a, a really a life of, of, of really deep addiction. And I know this, 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 these two guys come to mind, and both of these brothers, they, they're saved, sanctified, and filled with the precious Holy Ghost, but they got game because they learn that game, and they need, sometimes we need to be purged of that game. Sometimes we need to be delivered from that game because that's what works because we are, you know, if they don't want to do it willingly, and I, I, know how to, I know how to twist their arm. I know, how to, I know how to manipulate and make folk do what I want to do, and that's really, not, God's not really in that, but that's what we know, and what will happen is in the long run when we resort to the things we know, we thought we knew that we assume will work, basically, we'll fish all night and catch nothing. Or what you catch won't be worth eating. And so this is where they are. It's, it's emblematic. It's symbolic, isn't it, of, their, of, of where they seem to be in their journey because right now they're a little bit bewildered. Jesus breathed on them back in the last chapter, said, receive the Holy Spirit. But that wasn't the conferral, conferring of the Holy Spirit. That won't come to Acts 2. He says receiving is kind of a, a little preview, and, and he's telling them receiving it. And later on they'll be told how when the Spirit is poured out. They're in this kind of limbo, and they're doing what they know. And so... Then in the morning, they see Jesus, and they don't know it's Jesus. Sometimes Jesus is standing before you, and you don't recognize him, though you've been with him, though you've hung out with him. They see Jesus, and he asked, he asked, he says, friends, got any fish? And he knows they don't. And then he tells them, this is what you do. And he's standing about 100 yards, they're about 100 yards out, so he says, you know, Cast your, your net on the right side of the boat, right? So I don't know if that means right in terms of correct. No, it means probably right in terms of right or left. I don't know who's right or left, whether they're right, his right, whatever. He says, whatever side you're fishing on, you're fishing on the wrong side, go to the other side. And it says what? That they took in so many, hauled in so many fish that they could not contain them. He says there were so many that the nets would break, but thankfully the nets didn't break. And so they, they, they were unable to haul the net in. They had to drag the net to shore. And so uh, then all of a sudden John you know, two, he said, oh, this guy that just told us where the fish are, that must be uh, like Jesus or something. And so John says, it's the Lord. And now this is really Peter. This is so Peter, right? Because if it were me, I would say, oh, it's the Lord. Hey, Jesus. Peter's out there probably in a tunic or stripped down to underwear kind of clothes. Some translations say he was naked, but probably doesn't mean that he was naked, naked. He, was, he, he had taken off his outer garment. So he, he says, it's the Lord. And Peter just instinctively puts on his outer garment and jumps into the water. You ever know people that like do crazy stuff? It's like, why did he just do that? Why did you jump into the water? Because it wasn't because you were scantily clad, because you put your coat on. The, for a couple reasons, because what John is doing is, is, is reminding us of something. That's Peter's temperament. That's his personality. He is brash. He's impetuous. He is impulsive. He just does stuff like some of us do. We just do stuff. I don't know why I did it. He just jumped in the water. Boom, I'll swim on it, you know. But maybe also there are a couple things that work, and maybe there's a tension in, in the midst of this. Because number one, Jesus means a lot to Peter. So I can imagine that Peter's excited to see Jesus. But as we go forward in the next few verses, 
there is an elephant in the room, or we're not inside, so an elephant sitting by the fire. There is a, there's an unspoken, unresolved tension. And so I'm sure that in this moment, based upon what you and I know about Peter, right, the fact that Peter's got a little bit of unfinished business to deal with with Jesus, right? Because Peter's the one that, is, that has said, I will, I'm going to stick with you to the end. I'm never going to let go. I'm never going to give up. Peter's the one that, that's, that's, that, that basically says, I'm better than all the rest of these guys because I'm the one, when everybody runs, when everybody bails on you, I'm going to be there. And we know that Peter emphatically did not live up to what he professed, that Peter denied the Lord. He sinned against the Lord. He's in a, he's in a, he's in a difficult spot because I'm sure in this moment he, he, he would, you know how it is when you got something that you, know, you probably would have wished that Jesus had showed up on the shore and then waved and, and vanished and gone and disappeared again. It would have probably been a little easier. I saw Jesus. It was really cool. He showed us where the fish was, and we look forward to the next time in Jesus' name. But Jesus just stands there. So he jumps into the water and he's swimming out gay because he's got th- th- these conflicting issues. One is that, I, that I, he does love Jesus and he has affection for Jesus and they've spent time together and they, they have a deep filial brotherly relationship. But on the other hand, there is this unfinished business, this unspoken concern, this issue. Peter has not been restored. This has not been talked about. And you know, there's a little thing, that, a little principle that will follow us throughout all of our lives. And that is there are certain things in our lives, there are certain things emotionally and spiritually that until those things are gently and lovingly by the power of the Holy Spirit uncovered and, and pulled back and addressed and dealt with, they're, 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 they won't go away. They won't cease to bother us. They will not cease to affect us. Some of us are carrying stuff in our lives. Those little things because of things in our lives that we have not allowed ourselves to experience resolution and because we have tucked them away and hidden them away and maybe no one has been so bold as to to try to unearth them or to unpack them or to open them. And Peter will be a mess until he resolves this issue. And he's a mess now. He's a mess when he goes fishing because that's not really what he was supposed to be doing at this stage of his life unless he's doing it recreationally. He's a mess because of the fact that his little impulsive personality, he still, he sees you, he doesn't know what to do. So he swims in the shore. And they, they're pulling in the, the fish. And says the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they, now listen to this. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. A couple things. First of all, with regard to God's work and his activity in the world, what we just saw, you know, he says, friends, haven't you any fish? Is Jesus trying to put together breakfast? And at that moment, they have none. They get some, a lot of them. But you notice when they get to shore, Jesus wasn't waiting, excuse the grammar, Jesus wasn't waiting on their fish. He didn't ask them did they have any fish because he needed their fish. He'll fry up some of their fish, I'm sure. (laughs) With regard to God's work and his activity in the world, always remember this, that 
Jesus is not waiting on you to supply the, 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 the essential ingredients. Uh, he's not depending upon you to be the initiator or even the sustainer of his work. He invites us to join him in what he's doing. He invites us to be a part of what he's doing. He invites us to bring what he's given us, to bring our resources to the table. But it's not like he has nothing unless we show up. And he had fish then. So... They have 153. I love John's precision. He, and he said, well, how did that? Is John just throwing numbers? Because it's like, why would they count the fish? Well, they're going to divvy them up because they're all fished them together. They got to count them, right? And I think it was Jerome, one of the church, early church fathers, had observed that there, there were a lot of speculation. Why 153? There's some mathematical uh, theories. And the one that I, I think is the most appealing is, is Jerome's idea, and that is that there, there were 153 known varieties of fishes in, fish in that environment at that time. And what, what, the, what, the, what the 153 represents is the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ will go out into the world and will reach every, every, every nationality, every race, every creed, every, every variety of human being, that, there, that it, it, is, it will be universal in its scope. And the fact that the nets were full but didn't break symbolizes the fact that the church, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, is full enough and strong enough to contain all of the people that will become a part of, of, of the church throughout all of history, that there's plenty of room for everybody of all stripes and of all of all different shapes and sizes and fins or whatever, there's plenty of room for us all. So there's 153 fish. And Jesus invites, he says, come and have breakfast. And then none of the disciples ask him. And so do you get the sense that there is this palpable tension? And I always want to say in the room, but they're sitting outside. At the camp. There's, you, you can imagine that the, 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 the tension is so thick you could cut it with. You know how it is. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this the other evening, and I, I was thinking about my wife and I, we kind of agree to this. And I want to, if you're a family person, you know, if you have a family, if you, well, you know, you, everybody got some kind of family. A little advice to you. Like, if you're going to have a really nice meal, don't ruin it with, by dealing with uh, some negative. I love, I'm going to take you out to lunch at a $100 plate restaurant so I can check you on something. Don't Because then you're not going to enjoy the meal. You won't remember the meal. You just remember the argument you ended up having. And then the check, you know. But just like, and you'll be having knots in your stomach and all upset and stuff. It's like, oh, man. Because it's like we went, to this, we went to this nice restaurant and then you just sat there and told me all about myself. If you're going to do that stuff, just go, off, go to Starbucks for that, you know. Don't drink too much coffee because you might get too hyped up and then you go at it, you know. But go to Starbucks, go somewhere, sit outside, just sit down and talk. But, but you can imagine, there's, and Jesus said, I'm fixing breakfast for y'all. Here's some bread and some fish. They said, oh, fish, yeah, we've been up all night long. That's just what we want, right, fish? Yeah, they're hungry. And, and, and so, but you can imagine, um, put yourself in a situation. You've got these two people here. You've got the Lord of glory. You've got Jesus, the one that all of them have been following, the master, the son of God, the Messiah, that called all of them to follow him. And in this moment, you've got Peter here, the one out of them all who has failed. Peter has sinned. Peter has let Jesus down. Peter has, in effect, fallen in his role and his responsibility. He has failed. And they're in the room together. You know how it is when you get those two people in the room and you're sitting there, oh, oh. And Peter's sitting there, oh, okay, is this, this, this time, are these appearances 
these, these are they timed? Can, can you go back now? But notice what else. They're gathered. When they come to shore, Jesus, there's a, and there's a fire, a campfire. And no, there are no campfire girls around. But it says specifically, it's a charcoal fire. Jerry's getting excited when I say that. Charcoal. It's a charcoal fire. Now, you go back to when, Jesus, when, when Peter, when Jesus was, had been arrested, when Peter is interrogated by that little girl. What is he? Where, where is he? He is at a charcoal fire. Isn't this something that Jesus shrewdly brings him all the way back around? And so when he comes on the shore, the, the smell of the environment and the, the vibe reminds him, and he would probably rather not be reminded, but it reminds him of where he failed. And sometimes God will have to bring us... A, back to where we failed so that we can deal with what went wrong and so we can move forward from there into that second and subsequent chance. So he, he, they're there around this campfire, this charcoal fire with fish on it and bread. It's brought him all the way back around. And it says, none of the disciples dared to ask him, and this was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples. We saw that in John 20, the first two, in that locked room, the second one we looked at last week with Thomas. And then, so what happens is, this is all going on, and then the main event begins. Thank you, Max. When, when they had said, the text says, when they had finished eating, listen to this. So they're sitting there. Now you can imagine, what, what in the world is, is, is Peter thinking? He's probably got a nice little, you know a little fake smile you get? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to see you, Jesus. Man, that's good fish. Mm. Where'd you get this bread? Is this, this from Trader Joe's or what? This sourdough. It's good. Nothing like this. Smell of charcoal in the morning. <laughs> Jesus turns to Peter. And John, in his writing, he gets kind of, he kind of formalizes it because he says, when they had finished eating, verse 15, Jesus said, he says to Simon Peter, he doesn't say to Peter, he says, he steps back a little bit. This is really important, John is saying. So after they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Now that's right there, it's scary because you know when your mama called you by your whole name, it's serious. But he doesn't go where we might think he would go. Very simply and very directly. And I love that about Jesus. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't mince words. He doesn't, he doesn't waste, he doesn't have an agenda, so to speak. He doesn't waste time. It says this, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, the big exegetical question that everybody is grappled with for the last couple thousand years is what are the these? You was going to ask me. I wasn't going to let you get there. And there are three, there are three possibilities. He says, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, there are three things that these could be. The these could be, it could be this. Simon, do you love me more than you love all these guys around here? Could be that. It could be, Simon, do you love me more than they love me? Now, that sounds a little interesting because Simon, I get the sense that he has, he has thought or he has supposed that he loved Jesus more than the rest of the guys. So he's saying, do you love me more than these? Or it could have been that they're sitting there by the fire and there are all of the implements of the trade, all the tools of the trade, the nets, the boats. Life jackets? No, not yet. Whatever other stuff. All, you know, all the stuff that has to do with what he does. And he, it might be that Jesus turns and says, it's like you would say to me with regard to our keyboards. Do you love me more than, than these? And, and John seems to be very skilled in, in crafting layered meanings because I, I suspect that that. To, 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 the, to, you know, to the greatest extent, probably he's saying to Simon, first and foremost, do you love me more than the rest of these guys love me like you thought you did? But also, I think it's possible that there is an element of do you love me more than you love them because you need to love me more than anybody else. But also, I think it's very possible because you see his return to the trade symbolize the fact that his heart is being drawn back to something that undoubtedly had captivated his heart. I was, you know, I'm like this. When I'm into stuff, I'm into the stuff, right? Um, I was an electrician when I was younger. Um, And I remember, and my wife will vouch for this, I I learned to trade through my father-in-law and her uncle, who was a better teacher than her dad. And I I, I got it. I loved it. I loved it. And I loved all the stuff. You know what I'm talking about. I loved tools, and I would buy a tool at the drop of a hat because my rationale is always, well, you know what, I'm going to need this. I loved my, my side cutters. There was these, these, these Klein pliers that electricians use that you use for, I had, with the, the blue handles back in the day, and I loved those pliers. I mean, it's like there were certain things that was like, they were like they were attached to my hand. I, I loved the fish tape that we used to pull wires through the conduit. I loved the pipe benders. I loved, I loved the wires. I loved the stuff. I loved, I had a little truck with all my little stuff. And I loved this. I loved, I loved the trappings of it. I, I, I became a pilot a little later on. I got into aviation. I loved everything about flying and everything about airplanes. I loved it. Just like, and you know, I mean, I'm, I, I do this other thing called music, and I, I, I kind of like that too. And I like the stuff, and I like the gear, and I like the equipment, and I like all the stuff. You go in my garage every day, I'm driving in, and, and I'm, I got to watch out. I, don't hear, I have a Hammond C3 parked over in my garage. I, I, I say, it'd be a shame if I did in my car and said, what did you do? I ran into a Hammond, Oregon. How you do that? But I got, you know, we just, t- I got a hold of this thing. Let me just keep this. Might need it one day. You know how the, 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 the things of your trade, the things around your life, the, the things that symbolize what you do, because what you do tends to, to have a big impact on the way you think about who you are. And so it might be that sometimes Jesus says to us, do you love me more than your stuff? Do you love me more than, than, the, than the, do you love me more than your technology? 
Do you love me more than your instruments? Do you love me more than your equipment? Do you love me more than the stuff on your truck? Do you love me more than the nets and the boats? You know when you get into fishing, you get into to, to the ocean, when you get into sailing, you know all of that stuff. There's something about us. It's captivating to our hearts and our minds. And then it begins to represent our personhood because, well, I'm a fisherman. That's what I do. I got the hands, the, the, the rugged hands to show for it. Well, I said, don't touch my face there. I'm the guitar player. I got the calluses to show for it. I got the scar here. So I said, wish it had been for the gospel. That's, I got a scar here. I had tw- that's from being an electrician. That's 12 stitches in 1976, okay? I love my stuff. And Jesus said, do you love me more than yours? He says it to preachers. He says, do you love me more than you love church stuff and ministry and churchiness and religion and, and, and all of the, the pageantry and all of the things? Do you love that? Do you love church? Do you love choir robes? Do you love pews? And, and, and do you love microphones and, and the adulation of people? Or do you love me? And so he's saying to Peter, he said, listen, do you love me more than anything or anybody else? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Okay, that's good. We're done. So Jesus says, okay, cool, Peter. It's, it's all good, brother. You messed up, but we're back on track. But Jesus is not. You don't, you don't get rid of Jesus that easy. <laughs> See, you saved me. I said to you, is everything all right? You said, oh, Pastor, everything's wonderful. Okay, cool. You know, Jesus says, no, 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 wait a minute. He said, let me ask you again. Again, well, first of all, after he says that, then Jesus follows up, because, and this is the, the template. He says, after that, he says, he, followed, he says, okay, you, you know I love you. Jesus says, Feed my lambs. Now, I want you to notice something, and this is really important from the perspective of restoration, from the perspective of forgiveness, of second chances and subsequent chances. What you'll notice, and we'll talk about it going forward, is that Jesus is not trying to elicit an emotional response. He's not trying to get Simon to commit to some lofty, series of words. He's not getting him to, to, to give him a whole bunch of, you know, oh, Lord, I love you. I, yes, I, you know. he, he said, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know I love you. He says, all right, feed, feed my lambs. Again, he says to Simon Peter, he says, son of Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter's like, hmm, I thought we just dealt with this. <laughs> Maybe the resurrected body has a little hearing thing. He says, Lord, you know I love you. He says, take care of my sheep. He phrases it a little differently. And then he comes back one more time, the third time. He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now it says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. You can understand that, right? Because he asked me the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. See, this is where you know that Peter is being real. You know what? Peter's appealing to Jesus' omniscience. Peter's saying, Lord, you know that I know that you know that I know, or something like that. You, since you know all things, you know, because I couldn't, he wouldn't, you won't go there because you know Jesus knows all things. You're not going to say, you know all things, so you should know. If he's thinking, I don't really love him because Jesus is reading my mind. He says, Lord, you see what's in here. You see what's on the inside. You know, and so you know that, that I'm being straight. 
you know that I love you. And you'd think Jesus would come off with something really profound like, yes, I knoweth Simon, and because of this and something about it, he says basically this. He says, he says, feed my sheep. It, maybe the Christian thing is not as complicated as we try to make it, huh? Maybe restoration is not as complicated as, we, as we, we suppose it is. Maybe getting on track, maybe God's agenda in the world is not as complex as we try to suppose that it is. He says, feed my sheep. You see, when I was a kid, I said, no, here we go. Just a few years ago. In church services, we see y'all. Sunday, Sunday night services, Sunday night. Those were the those are the ones that got wild, got free, because we'd have testimony service. That's how I learned to play in a lot of different keys, because because you just be sitting up there on the on, on the organ and somebody said, "I'm a soldier in the army," and you can either look really dumb and go, or you's like, "Okay, that's good. okay." <laughs> but there were there were. We would do these things where we call, you know, we would do these, preacher would preach and they would do a, a, an altar call and usually there weren't new people there. They were just the same old people that are always there. And so sometimes it would get down to stuff like this and say, well, you know what? The Lord is saying that's, and my, my pastor, my, my, you know, Pastor Smith, H. Marvin Smith was the, the, the one man who really pastored me over anybody for a, a specific season of my life, personal, up close, and I loved him. I loved him dearly, and he was a wonderful man, and he had this, he knew how to work, and I have a, I came across a VHS of, of, of him giving an altar call, like, before, you know, he, he passed off the scene, and he knew how to do it, because he get that little thing in his voice, you know, how you, you haven't been living up to your you do, you know, to little, with God's word this week, you know. You know, he had that little, get that little weeping, get on, and you put a little music under, and, and then people start to feel bad, because, you know, about half of them in there, they're messed up, right? <laughs> Especially if they're teenagers, right? And they start, and they said, you know, so you just, the altar's open, we're going to come down, we're going to pray a prayer of rededication, and we're going, you know, and so we would all, so the same, some of you know you've been in churches where they did altar calls, and the same people came down week after week after week, the same thing, and it was obvious that the same people encountered the same, you know, mistakes over and over again, and so they'd come down, and we'd all get down there, and we would, and they would pray, and they would lay hands on us, and you know, and we would, we would cry, people would cry, and people would weep, and people would say, I love the Lord, I'm not going to, I'm going to be good, I'm going to do the right thing, I love the Lord. And, and, you know, they'd go on on 20, 30 minutes, and, you know, then they would pass out in the spirit and lay there, oh, you know, and they'd make a big deal of it. And it seemed like the more dramatic it was, the more real it was, right? I don't think so. It seemed like everybody just ended up coming, because they all have to come back next week. At some point, when does this thing stick? When does it work? Because it, it seems to me that what Jesus is helping, to, helping Peter to understand is that I don't really care because, and this goes back, let me just digress and we'll connect this up. Because you'll hear the real popular line of teaching on this is uh, the fact that in the Greek text, the word for love, uh, there's a variance. And there are two words in the New Testament, um, two of the three Greek words, phileo and, and, and agape, one is the God kind of love, the highest form of love. The other is more brotherly, deep affection. And so it's like in the Greek text, Jesus says, 
Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, I phileo you. And I think of the fish. I say, phileo fish. That's, we got something here. And then and he says it again. Peter, do you agape me? He says, I phileo you. In other words, it, it, you, you might suppose this is not probably a very plausible or strongly uh, a strong line of reasoning based upon what I'm going to tell you. But we say, and then the third time, Jesus says, okay, Peter, do you phileo me? He says, I phileo you. So then Jesus said, I come down to his level. So, you know, the priest said, well, Peter, you know, basically liked the Lord and didn't love him. And you said, do you really love the Lord? Do you like him? The problem with that is uh, there are a couple things. Number one, John uses phileo and agape, agape, agapao, which is the verb form of that. He uses it uh, somewhat interchangeably in his writing. It's, they're not, so they're not used always with hard, fast definitions. The other thing is that this was spoken in Aramaic, and in Aramaic there's one word for love. So John uses two different words, and we don't know if he meant anything. But if there is anything here, I think more than showing that Peter has some diminished form of love, uh, it might be something like this. The fact that the old Peter would, would go straight to the strongest superlative, the strongest word. The old Peter would have been, you know, do you love me? I love you times infinity. Do you love me? I love you more. I love you more today than yesterday. You know, whatever. I don't know. But not half as much as tomorrow, Jesus. You know. But Peter got spanked. Because Peter came into touch with the fact that we, in our human weakness, I know that we want to love Jesus as much as we know he loves us. I know that we want to be as faithful as as we can be. I know that we mean a lot of, of good things, but the reality for us as fallible human beings on this side of eternity is that we often fail to live up to what we say. We can, with our mouths, write some big checks, but when you take those checks to the bank, boom. And maybe Peter, by this time, like some of us, as we get a little older, we, kinda, we, we get a little less bolder in one regard. Get a little bit more bold when you know who you are and what you're about. But with regard to promising things and, and, and claiming things and speaking big things, particularly to God, Maybe Peter by this time is sitting there. He says, do you love me? And maybe John says, let me just kind of use this shading me. Because maybe Peter's saying, yeah, I really do. But, but I, maybe I don't want to just go there again with the kind of over-the-top language that I used before. Because before, it was like I loved him more than anybody else. And I was never going to ever mess up or do anything wrong. And, and now I, really, I have messed up and done something wrong. And I have failed him. And my love is... All that love, and some of you know, so we know about this in, 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 in life, right? All that love. They said, all this love is waiting for you. And he said, well, this is what was waiting for me. This is all there is. This all there is you know? And maybe Peter in that moment has been tempered as you and I become tempered. Maybe Peter in this moment has been chastened. Maybe Peter in this moment, his eyes have been always said, let me just, I'm going to back off a little bit. Because you know what? It's not about... It's not about the, 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 um, the force of your words with regard. You know, it's not about when you come down on those Sunday night services back in the 70s. It's not about you down there saying, oh, Lord, you know, because, you know, like we jump up and down. Oh, yeah. You know, and so the one that jumps the highest, that's the one that means, that means it the most. Now, it's usually kind of the inverse of that. 
It, it, it's not how, it's not the, when you get the mic and it's a, I just want to repent for what I did and I'm this, I want to tell you, God, I'm never ever going to turn my back on you. No, don't, don't, maybe you don't even need to say that. Jesus is, sometimes we're making promises Jesus isn't asking us to make. Sometimes we're professing love. Jesus is saying, listen, this is what you do. And get this, this is the, this is the point. When you talk about second chances, when you talk about following, when you've been a disciple and you've veered off the path, what Jesus is not so concerned about is the same kind of of grandiose speech that kind of gets us in trouble in the first place. I'm going to always do that. I'm never going to do that. I'm always going to be the best. I'm going to be the best disciple Jesus ever had. But it's more about, no, what you do is you shut up and you show up. What you do is you, he says, do you love me? He didn't say, Shh, jump high in church and shout loud. Do you love me? He, didn't, he doesn't say lift both hands and kind of bounce on your toes in a real churchy fashion. <laughs> I love the Lord. He heard my, oh, hallelujah. He didn't say, you know, I, I, he said, that's nice. I want your worship. I want your praise. I want you to emotionally engage with me and I want you to worship. But see, it doesn't, none of that matters if you don't do what I ask you to do, which is to feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Tend to my church. Love my people. Serve the needs of people in the world. Be a disciple. Follow me because that's what I did. See, Jesus would say to Peter, I didn't just talk about love. I didn't tell you I love you with the love of the Father. I love you with the love. Of the... And then go on and say when the cross came, you know what? Let me, let's, let's think about this thing. Pilate, let's make a deal here. Can, we get, can I get a plea deal here? Uh, you know, let me, let me plead. You know, no, Jesus is saying, I loved, I loved you. God. I told you I loved you. I told you in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I didn't just say it. I did it. I lived it. I walked it out. I went the whole distance. And Peter's coming to understand that that's what Jesus wants from us. He doesn't want a whole lot of talk. Sometimes the church is really good for, for proclaiming a lot of things. And we, we claim love for God that we don't dare to live out. We claim allegiance to God and to his word that we don't, that we don't have the courage to really, to really pursue in action and in our lifestyle and in our choices. He says, listen, do you love me? feed my sheep. Do you love me? Take care of my lambs. Do you love me? And you notice he starts with the people around you. He doesn't say go out and win the world. Go to the dark continent. Go to South America. And don't go, go, to, go to Antarctica, even though they're and get work with the penguins, whatever. He says, no, start with the church of the people around you. Feed my sheep, tend to my lambs. Make sure that the people that, that, that are around you in the body of Christ have food and water and the things they need and that they're protected and cared for and nurtured and discipled. That's what you do. And so when you're talking about starting over, when you're talking about getting back on track, the, 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 the issue becomes, what's the, what do I do from here? Uh, we could do a big ceremonial spiritual thing. We're going to have a rededication. We're going to all rededicate our lives to Jesus. And if you've been following afar off in the name of Jesus, we're going to invite you to this altar and I'm going to lay my hand on you and... I'm going to try real subtly to push you down because it looks really good for TV. And uh, so some of y'all know, so I, I've been pushed down, so I know, I know that really does happen. Dude said, come on, relax in the Lord. I'm like, <laughs> or you could do this. Try this in exchange. You could sit and hear the word of God. You could go to church and get convicted. You could realize that you've been messing up. You can realize that you've been 
falling short in some area of your life that maybe in some way you failed Jesus, not to the extent Peter did, but in some way, and you could say, you know what, Jesus is not asking me to, 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 to look sad and to drop my jaw and to go around and try to convince people how much I love him. Jesus says, would you just go and get back to work? Would you just pick up where you left off? Will you just go back out and do what I told you to do? Tomorrow morning, open up your Bible and begin to read again. Tomorrow, begin to love people in the world around you. Begin to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to control your tongue and to temper your speech, to live out the gospel. I'm not asking you to, it's not all about talk. It's about, it's about, it's about your walk and it's about your response. And it's about, my wife is feeding me lines up here. I got to give you a love offering, honey. What up? And so listen, listen, I got I to wrap this up. But he says, so P- Peter, so, so, and then Jesus goes on. And here's the, the tough part, because for Peter going forward, it's not going to necessarily be an easy ride. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger and dressed yourself, dressed yourself, and when were you, well, let me, let me back up. I got to see it and read it properly. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Now, listen to verse 19. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Now, say, aren't you glad you're not Peter? Amen. But God, Jesus is saying, I, I, I have, there's, because forgiveness was taken care of at the cross, Jesus already. It wasn't a matter of Jesus forgiving Peter. Sometimes in our lives, it's not a matter of your sins have already been paid for. It's a matter of a relationship being reconciled and a responsibility restored. It's about getting back in the proper relationship, and it is about becoming responsive once again to the Word of God and to the call of God. He says, but this is what's going to happen to you, Peter. So this is, this is the deal. You love me, feed my sheep. In the years to come, in the time coming forth, it's going to get hard for you, and you're going you're gonna to give your life for this gospel. But then he concludes it with these words. Then, it said, then he said to him, follow me. It all started with those two words, follow me. And men that are called by Jesus have followed him to varying degrees, to various levels of fidelity and faithfulness. And you get to this point, and Peter followed, and then Peter took a detour. You know about those detours. And it comes back around through this moment where Jesus has revealed himself to them and discloses himself to them. And this moment where Jesus, in in this setting, brings them all the way back around to another charcoal fire and brings them all the way back around. And maybe you would expect the deep stuff to come now, right? The heavy words. Let me give you now, Jesus might say, the inside track. Let me give you the deep hidden extra knowledge. He said, we're going to start where we started. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. We're going to, I have no, there's no new calling. There's no, it goes back to what we said, follow me. I said it a few moments ago. I'll say it again. Sometimes we make this a lot harder than it is. In my life, I'll tell you, I've been, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. Kind of like some of the fellas in the Bible, varying degrees of fidelity and faithfulness and, and focus. Sometimes Jesus is saying, follow me, and he's going that way. I'm like, yeah, I'll be with you in a minute. I've got to go over here first. I know that's not the case for most of you, but 
And I've gone, I've gone, I've had, you know, I've had, I've had some good days and some bad days. And at this point in my life, I've been doing ministry in various forms for a long time, and I come to go to these, 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 these things with God, these moments when I'm, re, I'm just trying to get, you know, refocusing. And you know what? I keep listening for that new thing, and I don't get the new thing. You know what he just, I, when, I, when I find I really, when I really zero and I really home in on, on, on what he's saying to me in any given moment, it always comes back to follow me. He said, you can't make this stuff up. I'm not asking you to bring the fish to the table. I'm not asking you to bring the power. I'm not asking you to make something out of nothing. I'm simply asking you to follow me. Because you, and you don't, and, and he said, well, Lord, where are you going? He said, just follow me. And when I mess up and when I fail and when I fall short, I realize that God is not concerned about all the flowery platitudes of, well, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm going to think I'll write a poem about this. I failed the Lord because I was bored. And now he's wielding the, the Holy Ghost sword. Uh, but I'm listening to God's word. And I'm going to be better than the rest as they put me to the test. I want to be blessed. Oh, forget it. No. Follow me. Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep. So... So now, we'll finish the chapter out. But wait, there's more. No. <laughs> so this is so real. I, Peter turned, verse 20, and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, oh, John, you're just so, so modest, me, <laughs> was following them. So, you know, they're walking by this time, and then John's back there, and they're walking. And he says, it says, this was the one who leaned, leaned back, uh, against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, let's see words. It's so, it's so, hey, Lord, what about him? All this stuff about, you know, uh, they're going to, you remember when you dressed yourself and went where you wanted to go? Well, in, in the future, you're not going to dress yourself. They're going to dress you and they're going to bind your hand. You're going to go where they want to go. And that symbolifies, symbolizes the kind of death you're going to die. Praise the Lord. I, I, I'm glad to be back on board, Jesus. But what about him? Yes. <laughs> How much is that like we are? I, I, I got to finish, but I just, I, I couldn't let this go. I looked at it. I was, I was, I, I, I do this thing. It's called, uh, it's, it's, I, I coined a name where it's called sermon walking. And I, cause I, I think better when I walk, so I work this stuff out in my head. And, and you know, on like three and five mile walks and stuff. And I was walking yeah, the last week down by City Hall downtown, they were having a big Armenian demonstration out there. It was really cool. You see all the schools. I was just walking, and I was just tripping on this. I said, because, man, I thought about it. I would never say that, right? No, see it all. We do it all the time. Because it's like, you know, I'm a pastor. Okay, so I love, I love Grace Chapel. I got this about church over here in Inglewood. But, but what about that dude over there that got the thousand seats? And, right? Right? You, you don't do that, I know. Somebody in their Christian life that just everything seems to fall in place for them and they, they never have any struggles from your perspective. And, and we say, and, and your life has been just this, this cascade, this, this comedy of, of spiritual errors. And, every, and you, when you're trying to do good, crazy stuff happens. And you say, Lord, what about him? How come, how come I got to go through stuff? And they don't. That is so like us. 
I've got this, this, you know, you might say, I've got this physical condition, I've got this, this emotional challenge, I've got this relationship difficulty, I've got this or that. How, but Lord, what about him? How come they got it so good? How come, why don't you take them to, Lord, I want to share some of the blessing of this, of this glorification. I want to share some of these tribulations so that others can be blessed like I am. What about him? Well, I, I want to settle this once and for all. And now, by the way, this is, it's believed by some that this may be why John saw the need to, to add this addendum to the book, because he needed to correct a, a mindset that was prevalent among the Christians because of what he said before, because of what he's going to say uh, uh, that's prevalent, that, jo- that John himself would either not die until Jesus comes again or that Jesus had to come again before he died. And John would, would be uh, getting along in age and say, well, let me write this out and explain it so that people understand that it's not what Jesus meant. He says, he says what about him, Jesus says, verse 22, I, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? <laughs> what is that to you? And while we should love and care for and be concerned about our brothers and sisters and their plight and their challenges and their struggles, we should come alongside and help people. When it comes to looking at other people and saying, well, how come they ain't going through what I'm going through? And how come their road is so easy and mine is not? What about them? Jesus says, ain't none of your business. Likewise, when, when you look at the fact that some people seem to get over and doing wrong, I know this hurts and I know it's difficult for us. We look at people who, who, uh, who, who do badly and they, they seem to, to fare better than we do in life. We say, well, what about him? He did broke all the rules and look how successful, even in, in sometimes in the church. He's the one that he is always was doing stupid stuff and bad stuff and he's just being blessed and I always try to do the right thing and I always, I'm always catching it. What about him? And Jesus says, it's none of your business. Don't worry about it because in the final analysis, first of all, you're... you're you all will, 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 you will, you will all inherit glory. You all get the same e- eternal splendor. Don't worry about it. Because of this, he says, a rumor spread among the believers that the disciple would not die, but Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? So, let's, let me just finish this. It all started with two words, right? And it all ends with the same two words. And it all continues with the same. 2,200 years later, the same two words are compelling to us. Jesus, Jesus is really, he certainly wants to be your Lord and Savior even your personal Lord and Savior, in in very evangelical words, very American words. But what he says first and foremost to all of us and to all who would listen is follow me. And when you've followed and when you've strayed and when you need to come back, he doesn't say, you know, do some some nice tricks and (laughs) some gymnastics and... Do, do, do something to make me think that you really mean business. He says, no, follow me. Feed my sheep. 
do my, my business, do my bidding. And so, four things. Number one, we serve God. We saw from the beginning, through, not through our strength, but through the power of God, not human effort. God uses, and we see in the case of Peter, God uses broken people. Isn't that, aren't you glad about that? Because if that wasn't the case, then I, I wouldn't be standing up here before you all today. God uses broken people, people who have made mistakes, people who have, who have failed. He uses them to accomplish great things for his kingdom. Uh, and then his way for us may be different than his way for someone else. And then finally, the essence of, of love is trust and obedience. And so I hope that what we get from this today is that, yes, God is, a God of, is the, the God of, of second chances. God of the second chance. And yes, despite your past and your failures, God can use you in significant and, and magnificent ways. But it won't be by the, the flamboyant words and the bold and brash proclamations. It's by a heart that would trust and a heart that would simply do what he tells Peter to do. After he tells him, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. It's going to get hard, but this is what you do. Follow me. Don't worry about your neighbor. It's none of your business. Bottom line, when it's all said and done, follow me. Amen?